It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. And a special welcome to season 10, where we explore histories and mysteries of the British landscape. We'll be walking in ancient lands, unearthing forgotten myths, and even stumbling across a few chilling tales of the supernatural. And of course, we won't forget to include all of our encounters with wonderful wildlife along the way. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the host of this podcast. And in this episode two, we rejoin Marianne Ahotter for the second part of her adventures among the Bronze Age burial mounds and forgotten ruins of the Dorset Downs in her quest to uncover the mysteries of a very curious ancient site known as Knowlton Circles. In the last episode, Marianne guided us along old paths and lanes, telling the stories of our distant ancestors along the way but now she's finally reached her destination. Find out what happens next. And after you've enjoyed this adventure, you can discover more treasures of the countryside with Marianne in her latest book, Secret Britain, Unearthing Our Mysterious Past, which is published by Francis Lincoln. But for now, let's join Marianne in the wilds of Dorset. So what is this place, Knowlton? Well... We followed the route of the River Allen to a point where, in the ground just below us, there's a confluence of two tributaries, and then the River Allen continues. And on the other side, there's a portion of land which has long been known to have sinkholes, so areas where the limestone underneath gives way and the earth suddenly collapses, often in a kind of circular form. And so in some ways, this site of Knowlton is is situated between the water and the underworld and it overlooks the River Allen 
Now, the River Allen now is just a, an agricultural waterway, um, somewhat depleted because of the, the pressure of, of water in, in modern Britain. Um, but back in the day, it would have been navigable, probably, in sections, certainly much more significant as a focus not just for life and livestock, but also perhaps for spiritual and sacred lines within the landscape. And so I don't think it's any coincidence that this overlooks that confluence of rivers. And one of the theories about Knowlton is that it's it's a, effectively a kind of Dorset equivalent of a temple by the banks of the River Ganges. This is a set of earthworks that marks a special place in the landscape, perhaps a central place where people could say, this is our land, this is the land of our ancestors, this is the land of gathering and ceremony and sacred meaning. And so that's why you'd build your enclosures up above, looking down onto the river that connects you to communities on the coast, that connects you to the life-giving powers of, of earth and water, it's just a theory anyway. But otherwise, why else is it here? But this church henge is only one aspect of the complex of monuments at Knowlton. There's a southern circle, which is the largest. It's about 230 metres across. And it's so big, in fact, it has a modern-day farm inside most of it, a farm called New Barn Farm. There's a northern circle, which is slightly smaller, but pretty much similar to the southern circle. And that's strange because inside it, it doesn't have a medieval church, but it does have a prehistoric ditch enclosure that is rectangular, which is quite unusual. There's another bit. There's a bit called the old churchyard, which you might think might give us a clue as to how it was used or what it was used for later. But there's actually no evidence of this old churchyard earthwork being ever used for burials or as a cemetery or in any relation to the medieval church. And then there's a fifth element to the uh, earthworks here, and it's known as the Great Barrow. So again, another earthwork mound, like the ones that um, we've explored en route to get here. But this one is much bigger and it's covered in trees now and encircling it are two rings of ditches. Archaeologists have tried to get dates to work out whether the barrow and the ditches are from the same period or whether one came before the other, whether that aspect is the same date as the other circular earthworks here, the other enclosures. And rather frustratingly, just because of the geology and the, and the nature of the sediments here, the dates haven't been particularly helpful in, in working out whether they all happened at the same period of time or whether they they're actually represent a succession of, of different monuments being constructed by perhaps a few generations of people. But what we do know is that these were constructed in the late Stone Age, so the Neolithic, um, the same era as Stonehenge was being built, the same era as Silbury Hill was being built, the same era as Avebury was being constructed, when people seem to have quite a connection to creating circles in the landscape. 
Now, what they were doing inside those earthwork circles, we can't be 100% sure. They don't appear to be particularly useful in terms of some kind of functional purpose, you know, like a livestock corral. There's no evidence of fences or or hedging on the top of the on the top of the, the, the bank. They don't appear to be defensive because the ditch is on the inside rather than the outside. So that wouldn't work particularly well as a rampart. It would it appears more to be useful ish to keep people or to demarcate an area of space inside now what would that have been used for for gatherings for ceremonies for a prohibition as in this is a place where people can't go maybe this is a a domain a sanctuary of of the spirits or the ancestors maybe this is only where shamans or leaders or priests of some description can come or maybe this is where everybody gathered to perform communal rituals. I think quite often we try to separate the secular from the sacred and say, well, it either has to be functional or it has to be ritual or spiritual. But the truth is, actually, if you look at our modern celebrations and ceremonies, they're both. Think of a wedding or a funeral or Christmas or Eid, and it's an opportunity for us to gather together to form and coalesce those social bonds but also perhaps to measure and mark something beyond ourselves and above ourselves but it's both you know you eat you drink you have fun and uh, you also honor your place in in the longer bigger picture the story of time or connection or 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 faith and I think when we look at prehistory we shouldn't try to segment it as one thing or the other it's very likely given that these were human beings just like us they were doing all sorts of things all at once and that's why this place is special i'm walking east now away from the chancel of the church down into the ditch and up and over the bank to two yew trees pretty old yew trees at that where people have, just through the passage of feet, carved a little grotto. And it's absolutely festooned with beautiful coloured ribbons tied onto the branches of the yews. And it's quiet and it's shady in here. And the colours of all these different little ribbons given us offerings is quite special. It shows just how important this site is to modern people now. Now, whether they're, they consider themselves to be modern pagans or connected to sort of druidic religions, I don't know. You can't help but be moved by it, though. And the late afternoon sunlight is, is streaming through the, the gap in the archway between these two trees, throwing up the shadows on the bark of the twisted trunks and the roots. People have put pebbles, stones. There's actually a school tie here. I'm not sure what that's about. Some people hate these things. They think it's litter and tat. But I think it's lovely. Shows people's connection to the landscape, to these monuments, that they're not just 
dry, dusty, dead things from the olden days, but they're kind of living sites of significance now. I did mention that the southern circle is so big, 230 metres across, but it's got a farm in it. And now I've come to the very farm, New Barn Farm. Now, not just any old farm, but it farms ethical goat meat. Let's go explore. Louisa and Terry are the owners of New Barn Farm, which sits at the centre of the Southern Circle, one of the henge enclosures that forms the Knowlton complex. And over the past few years, they've transformed it into a working farm and they farm ethical goat meat. I'm going to now go and find Louisa and find the goats, I think, as well. Hello, Louisa. Nice to meet you. Hi. Okay, hi, I'm Louisa Matthews. Um, I live at New Barn Farm at Knowlton. Been here since 2015. We bought the farm and we've been working on it ever since. It's quite a... It's quite an extraordinary thing because obviously you've got, you know, the the farm buildings of various ages. You've got a, a shed full of noisy goats, which is amazing. And just in this paddock here, you've got an enormous earthwork. Yep. Couldn't see it when we first moved in. It was totally covered, overgrown, fallen trees. You couldn't see any of it. None of the fencing obviously was here. Um, and then we gradually sort of started clearing it and clearing it. Um, and this is what we've been left with. And we obviously like have, have grassed it. It wasn't obviously like this. Um, and then obviously had the archaeologist here all the time whenever we were doing anything. But yeah, and then part of the deal was that we would fence it to protect it, which is what we've done. And we only graze um, some sheep on here. Um, the ram's on here at the moment. Um, but yeah, no, it's great. It's lovely. And then obviously you can see Norton Church. What's it like sort of being, I don't know, the owners, the custodians of these ancient monuments? It's great, really. I mean, it's obviously I don't think we appreciated it until we were here um, and then sort of started clearing it and the views that we get. Yeah, I don't think we appreciated it for a very long time. And sometimes we do need to sort of stand still, take stock. I think, yeah, that's really special. Especially because so we got some of the yew trees that are still left here, and you think, well, how old are those? You know, and actually some of them. What's been really nice, some of the ones that we had to sort of like fell or had broken off, we've actually used a lot of the yew. We kept it, and we've had it all sliced, and we've actually got a dining room table that's made from one of the yew trees that was obviously here. So that's really nice. So okay, million dollar question, Louisa. <laughs> what were they? Well, well, we've been told that they think it was a ceremonial ring because they found the ditch on the inside, whereas normally ditches, I think, are believed to be on the outside. Um, but that's what they've sort of said to us. And obviously when they were doing the excavations, they found the ditch running on the inside of it. But they've also found another ditch further along in the field over there. Um, and then actually they did find another one as well on the other side, but not sure how old that one was. Um, that was only recently just found. Do you ever have any strange goings on or a sense of being in the middle of a mystical circle? Well, yes, Terry has. 
Go on. He, Tell me more. He thinks that he had, he was surrounded by some orbs one day. Wow. Yeah, he was absolutely terrified. I'm not joking, when I was working in the office and we were getting ready to go away, um, and at the time we had a big mobile home here where the boys lived in, and, and he came round to see the boys sort of like say goodbye and stuff like that. And he said all these white lights just came all over him and just sort of like covered him. And he was, well, yeah, he was like pretty scared. And he come running back into the office and actually he was really scared. But yeah, he said, but he didn't, he, feel, he didn't feel there was like evil or anything like that. But he said there was just loads of like white lights all surrounding him. That's cool. <laughs> I love I that. I think he felt cool. <laughs> I think he fell over the barbecue as he was trying to run back towards <laughs> to the office. And then actually we were like driving up to the airport and you could, he was sort of still a little bit shaken. But yeah, so that's, that's the only thing really. Maybe they approve of you. Yeah, well, this is it. Maybe that's it. He's not seen them again. But yeah, you should ask him about his experience of them. Look, <laughs> he's running off. <laughs> All right, that's brilliant. Thank you. Should we see the goat? Yeah, let's go see the goat. But yeah, I was just sort of saying, was there anything unusual that's happened here? And I was just telling her about the orbs. Oh, the orbs, yeah. That's a, that's a very strange thing. Tell me, tell me about the orbs. Because I was saying, have you, you know, this site's been significant, special for what four and a half thousand years. And uh, do you, do you ever have any sense of uh, being in the middle of some kind of mystical? complex of yeah, specialness I mean, we, we did when we first moved in and we had a very unusual event where it's my 50th birthday and we we're just ready to go off on holiday we uh i came around to because at the time we were staying in mobile homes it's, it's quite dark and i came around uh, from our caravan into the boys caravan and then all of a sudden all these uh objects were coming out of the sky round objects all different colors no, they were, they, well, they were white then, went all different colours, and then just come, I'm talking hundreds of thousands flying through the air, and was sort of rolling up my me, me arms and sort of almost felt electrified. Mm-hmm. And uh, I fell over the barbecue, hit my head, scared stiff of what was going on, and then uh, the boys couldn't understand what it was, and I drove up to the airport like an electric lunatic because it just it did something strange, but just something really weird that's never happened again. So, very odd, one has to say. <laughs> That's amazing. And do you have other people, you know, you know, visitors coming to look around the site? Do they do they come to have some kind of strange experience? Do they come to just explore the history? Do they just want a nice coffee from your cafe? Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is a lot of it because the the rings when we first got here, you couldn't see the rings at all, the ring at all, the, the earthworks. We completely exposed it, so a lot of people didn't know. They all presume it's just the one, the church over the road. Now, if you go again, a lot of people go over there. And we've been over there and there's strange things happen over there all the time. And uh, you've got two trees over there that are like uh, an archway and it feels like you're going through somewhere. Mm-hmm. And a uh, very peculiar feeling and it gets very cold and strange. And But people come from all over the world to go there. And I think this is part of the, the beauty of what we got here. People will be able to come and sit on uh, an ancient monument that's never been able to see before in history. So it's quite an unusual usual feeling. But it, it always feels very... Uh, I don't know what the word is, Lou. Do you sort of uh, calm here, really calm mm. and really nice and pleasant? Other than that one experience, which was... Apart, apart from the orbs. The orbs, yeah, apart from the orbs. It was <laughs> other than that is everything's been very calm since. Yeah, yeah. they've accepted us maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, wait, how many goats do you have? Uh, maybe 200. 
I lose count because we've obviously just had like some more that have been born today. Literally, this is our last lot of 2021 kidding. Uh, so it's a bit late. We don't normally kid this late. These were just the last, the last four. Oh, so is that a one day old baby? Not even one day. That's literally about an hour. She doesn't seem to be that keen on the second one, so we'll have to just keep an eye. She keeps on licking that one. But sometimes they favour tries one for a little bit and then we just have to give them a little bit of a helping hand. But yeah, there you go. They're only about an hour old. <laughs> and tell me what kind of breed these goats are, um, you know, whether you use them for milk or meat or both. Or... The, yeah, these are South African boar goats and they are a meat goat. So that's what we produce them for. Obviously, this is what we sell from the farm is, is, our, is our goat meat. But yeah, you don't milk these or anything. They are specifically for meat. And they're great. They've got great characters. The only thing I know about goats is that they try to escape. Is that true? <laughs> is that not true? Not so much with this breed. I think because they're quite a big, heavy breed. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, one has escaped and went trotting down the road once. It used its um, feed to sort of uh, feed rack thing to jump on and then jump through the bushes <laughs> and went trotting down the road. But on a whole, no, these don't, they don't try to escape that much. They're pretty good. And what made you decide to breed goats in the middle of Dorset? <laughs> well, when we moved to the farm, we wanted to bring it, we wanted it to come back to be a working farm. It used to be a dairy farm a long, 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 long time ago. Um, but we've only got 10 acres here, so we don't have a lot of land. Um, so we just sort of like, we're trying to sort of think of something that's not going to need as much land. Originally, we were looking at the idea of maybe doing deer, but then we just looked at that and thought, no. And I think Terry must, I think Terry read an article about goat meat and the benefits of goat meat. Um, and so then, yeah, we decided let's go for it. So we knew nothing about goats at all. And it's just been a learning curve. And we started off with 10 goats and have been building and building for the last few years. Wow. <laughs> and so you sell from the farm shop and online. Just tell me about yeah, so I've been selling online for probably a couple of years now. Um, prior to that, it would be people could just ring on the doorbell um, and then just come into like a little room that I had and I'd have like my goat meat available. So about a couple of years ago, we went online as it got more and more popular. Um, and then last September, I opened up a small farm shop. Um, so I sell the goat meat, our seasonal pork, our seasonal lamb um, and lots of other nice Dorset produce. So you can go and commune with the ancestors and then uh, fill, your, fill your tummy. Yep, definitely. <laughs> but, but yeah, so that's those ones. These are our boys. So oh, that's right. So this is Edwin, who's our buck. Um, and then the one laying down is Shaka. <laughs> so we As in Shaka Khan? No, actually Shaka, I think it means African king or warrior or something okay. like that, yeah. So just to describe these goats, they're... Um, they're kind of sturdy animals. They, they're, they're white furred with um, brown faces and then a big white blaze down their foreheads and noses. And Edwin, the buck, has an amazing billy goat, billy goat beard and um, big floppy down ears right down to his snout and uh, horns that curl back towards his shoulders. He's a fine looking animal. 
And and the other goats with him, are they young females? No, they're all boys. Right. So they're all intact boys in here. Um, hello. Hello. You come to see who I am staring at you. What a fine animal. Amazing, yeah. He's so friendly, actually. He's lovely. So his face is what's on our logo, the goat shack. So I used his face. In here, these are all our breeding females um, so the majority of these have all kidded this year we just took um, the last few kids away literally probably about a week and a half ago um, and then there's some does in here that haven't been to the buck yet they were born last year so they will go to the buck this year so it's a it's a an airy wooden barn with a, a deep straw bed and some incredibly glossy beautiful looking white and brown goats and they're all um coming up to say hi now yeah, you're beautiful i mean we do normally put them out in the back field as well but we just topped it the other day so you just want to give the field a little bit of a rest and then they'll go back out there just, topping it, just sort of like cut the top of the grass because oh. it was it was getting too long and going to seed uh no don't eat my t-shirt <laughs> oh trying that. to eat trying to eat this it's like a furry badger i know <laughs> trying to eat the microphone do you have favourites that you yeah. can't bear to yeah. slaughter? Yeah. Well, obviously the girls, we don't. You know, these go into the breeding stock, but sometimes, yeah, you do end up with your favourite ones. You try not to, but you can't help it. <laughs> Tony, no, don't eat that. And what do the local people make of the enormous goat herd on the hill? Um, well, I've got, I've got a lovely client base. I mean, I've got so many regulars now. Love it. And especially because I think they can come to the farm shop and they can see the goats, which is really nice. Um, especially like when we had like the young kids in here and all the small ones and where I've had some bottle fed ones, of course, they're really friendly. So and I've got one particular one called Snowdrop. So she'll come straight up to the gate so they can stroke her. And so it's lovely for the kids when they come up. But we want to do more um, so that people can come up and appreciate them more. Yeah, no, we've had good feedback. Knowlton is one of those sites, and there are hundreds, perhaps thousands of them in the UK, where there isn't a souvenir programme, there isn't a ticket office, there's not that much information on the little signboard. There's just a lay-by and a monument 
and it's up to you to make of it what you will. It's up to you to to explore the landscape and find them. Or indeed, if you can't travel, to explore online and find meaning and mystery. And I think Knowlton is a perfect example of how that can pay dividends because this is an extraordinary site. I've explored it for free. I've had a wonderful adventure this afternoon. And I feel like I've connected not only to the landscape, but also to the history. And history that spans at least four and a half thousand years. This earthwork that I'm walking around now is older than the pyramids of Giza. And here it is, mine, to explore, to commune with, to wonder about, to tell stories about. It's profoundly edifying. And it's one of the reasons that I love British archaeology. Not all the answers are obvious. Archaeological science can take us so far, but won't answer all the questions we might have. Why people did it? What did they do here? Why was it important? That's up to us. Your guess is as good as any eminent professors at this point. And there's an opportunity for you, me, to wander to a site like this, to explore it, to, to get hands-on with it, and to come up with our own theories, to have our own experience, and engage with the past, engage with the ancestors, and keep this heritage alive. And that was the culmination of Marianne's quest to reach Knowlton Circles and to talk about some of the mysteries both in the ancient past and why it was built and why there's that ruined church there. And she even met the people who own the ancient site and farm there with their goats, which I thought was really both entertaining and really enlightening about what it's like to actually own and manage an ancient site or help manage an ancient site. I'm sure they get help from the various heritage bodies in the area. But um, and, and, you know, anyone can visit Knowlton Circles. It's open to the public. This is one of the wonderful things about uh, many of these great sites in the, in the landscape. They're free to visit or you, you, know, you can just wander along a footpath and come across them, as Marianne did. Now, the most exciting thing, obviously, in this part two of Marianne's adventure was talking to the farmer, uh, the, 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 the chap there, who had had that strange experience supernatural experience and i mean you could tell from his voice that he wasn't making it up there was something he'd, he'd experienced something and that's part of our series we're looking into really atmospheric mysterious places in the countryside where who knows what forces of the imagination can conjure up all sorts of things talking of surreal experiences <laughs> i'm joined in well, it's an in-body experience. <laughs> uh, for the first time in a very long time, I'm in the podcast studio, in reality, with Hannah Tribe, our great podcast editor and creator. And also, Jack is here, although not quite in body, but I can see his face on the screen. And Jack Bateman, producer of the podcast, lovely to see you both. Hello. Um, Hello. Very good to have you along along again. You know, we, that's a great. I think that's great. Those those two parts are the great a great start to the series, and it was quite nice for Marianne to touch on some of the sort of weird and wonderful su- supernatural. 
I wanted to know whether you, whether either of you or both of you, have you ever experienced any sort of ghostly goings on? Hannah, how about you? I once saw a ghost horse. A ghost horse. <laughs> a ghost horse. Um, so we've discussed my slight nervousness around animals that are larger than myself. And so I was on a walk and I saw a horse in the sort of area that I was walking around. And I was sort of conscious of the horse and thought, okay, we're going to make sure that I'm like not too close to the horse. I'm not scaring the horse. The horse is fine. And I saw it go sort of behind some bushes. And as, as I walked around the bushes, expecting to see the horse on the other side, the horse wasn't there. And I don't think the horse was ever there. Really? Horse, horse, um, a ghostly horse, phantom horse. I know. And I did check. I did like go around the field and go, well, where's this horse gone? Mm-hmm. And there was there was no other way that it could have escaped my field of vision. It was chestnut. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the, the, the tale of the missing horse. Wow. And that was down in, in South Wales? Yes, it? it was, yeah. And you hadn't been drinking? I hadn't been drinking. I was probably about 12 or something. Okay. Well, can you follow that, Jack? Have you got a, a missing animal ghost story? Yay or nay? <laughs> oh, God. Well, I hate to disappoint, but I don't think I've ever really had any experience of ghosts or anything supernatural. But... I do kind of feel like I can understand why people do sometimes or can experience odd goings on. Like a few times uh, I'll be out on an an event and end up at night being in the middle of a sort of dense wood and suddenly the darkness kind of, it can be a really open space, but suddenly you're closed in to a really small space and all the sounds are just seem so much more amplified and it could just be, a bird hopping over a leaf but suddenly that sounds so much more bigger and like it could be the foot of anything and I think I've experienced the feeling of supernatural goings on but I've been too aware of what it actually is for me to think it's anything that it isn't I, I, that's a, if that makes sense no it totally makes sense I think it's the it's the coming together of it's atmosphere and imagination and I think the more sort of I don't know Sometimes these remote places, I think like the barrows and burial mounds and odd earthworks that Marianne was talking about, particularly in part one, but also in, in this this one, that they conjure up, I don't know, some sort of connection to our ancient past. We, we've got obviously in our psyche, in our psyche, in our sort of DNA, we've got this connection to our, our ancestors. And who knows how these things are triggered again and all sorts of... You know, our imaginations are vivid. We need to populate our our sort of minds with stories. So, gosh, yeah, it, these things can conjure up all sorts of chills, thrills, and spills. And and I, I that's why I love walking in remote places. And I think you're absolutely right. Although it can, you know, a dark wood at night. I don't know how you're ending up in the dark wood at night so often, Jack. But it's on my way back from the club. Oh, the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> after after or before wrestling a badger. Oh no, that's Hannah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, yeah, it, it's it can be frightening. I, I think being out in the countryside late at night on a very on a moonless night, you can lose track. Of, it's really difficult to see for a start. But um, yeah, everything closes in around, and and obviously monsters and other even more frightening wraiths and spirits can sort of conjure themselves out of the out of the darkness. 
So more of that, <laughs> I hope, in the rest of our series. Well, let's let's plough on. Um, we've got, as usual, uh, we've got the podcast postbag. This is our first postbag delve of this series. Um, I wonder whether Jack... Uh, yes, I've got a message in from Jane Herbert, and she has said... I love listening to your podcast while the world is waking up, but this morning I was woken up at 5am by a very loud and busy bumblebee, which seemed to be in my bed. In total panic, I threw back the covers and jumped out thinking I was about to be stung. The buzzing continued, but I couldn't find the offender. Then, whilst frantically shaking out the pillows and billowing the curtains, I suddenly heard a voice saying, I hope you're feeling relaxed after your escape this week. That'll teach me for not setting the sleep timer while listening to your The Hum of Buzzy Bumblebees podcast in bed. <laughs> Brilliant. It's so good, yeah. Um, and obviously, those are our sound escapes, which we publish every Friday. And it's Hannah's voice that introduces them and also does the outro for them because she's got the nicest voice of the three of us. I mean, Hannah, perhaps you'd like to describe the, the very throw you a curveball suddenly, but... I'd like to think of them as sort of audio postcards the sort of five minutes of what the scene is like in a certain place in the countryside so we've had everything from riverside to mountaintop all over the country and it's just nice to hear what's going on in different places in the uk it's a sort of mindful moment isn't it yeah. just take a few minutes to kind of, to relax to the sound of a warbling blackbird or a not all of them are totally relaxing i think the night jar was a bit <laughs> was a bit uh, a bit weird actually, but they are really nice short little things. When you're when you're when you're busy at work, just plug in for a few minutes, and also you get to listen to Hannah's dulcet tones, and uh, uh, which is a, a great bonus, obviously. Also, it's nice to sometimes we revisit places that we've been to before, and you can hear how the sounds change over the course of a year. So something that may have been dominated by the sound of pebbles or water is suddenly kind of obscured by birdsong or wind and trees or something like the leaves are there so there's more stuff to listen to. And I think if you're stuck in town or office and you just can't get out I, I, I listen to them you know I live in the country but I do find them very restful. And um, I mean, it's a bit of a challenge, actually, this, at the moment, because birdsong is largely, sadly, I mean, we're recording this in early August, um, birdsong is rather sort of petered out and won't really return till Christmas when you get the first dawn choruses of the new breeding season. You know, we, we have to work harder to find our exciting sound. Crispy escape. leaves. Yeah, uh, waterfalls. Uh, and, and Slipping on the ice. <laughs> well, I like the sound of grasshoppers in a meadow. And that's coming up soon. So that's quite exciting. Well, the, our other regular item on the podcasts is a sound of the week where we ask listeners to send in their own recordings. And we love to get them. They're just so much fun. And from anywhere in the world, everything that bird, bird song is obviously a wonderful thing to hear. But you know, we've had people sort of record tractors and aeroplanes and just things that evoke the countryside or just little amusing moments that, that work. So, Hannah, I think you've got a sound of the week. I do. Our sound of the week this week comes from Chris Bridal and where he's from will become apparent. I'm a proud Welshman who originates from the beautiful Gower coast. Getting out in the current oppressive heat here in Dubai is a struggle. 
and it is mostly achievable at first light for a stroll in our little green oasis in the community we live in, Dubai's sustainable city. The various green spaces such as communities, golf courses, parks and other landscaping has resulted in a phenomenal change in the indigenous and migratory bird life. In the 14 years we have been here, it has changed so much. I remember the excitement on seeing my first sunbird here. Now they are pretty common. I love the podcast and soundscapes, makes me terribly homesick, but carries me away from the busy and stressful city, desert and work. Keep them coming! So for sound of the week, I thought I would get out to try and record the lovely morning trill of the male purple sunbird. That doesn't sound unlike our birds here trying to think about which bird it sounds like but yeah i know what you mean it's it's a kind of chortling backgroundy almost sub blackbird song um we've had some really exotic sounds of the week from australia and 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 north america that's lovely thank you very much chris that's from dubai we would we don't mind derby dubai anywhere in the world we'd love to hear dartmouth dartmouth or, or, or other letters are available We'd love to hear the your your own lovely recordings, and ordinary or unusual. Let's 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 hear them now. The best place to send them Dundee. <laughs> okay, um, Denmark. Dublin. Yeah, <laughs> we'd love to hear them, and you can send them to my email address. I'm Fergus Collins, and my email address is editor at countryfile dot com. Uh, and you can send them through in any sort of file form. You may need to compress the files using a website such as WeTransfer or Dropbox if it's a particularly large file. And that's it really from for episode two of our Histories and Mysteries season of podcasts. But we return next week with episode three. I'm heading out into the wilds of the Brecon Beacons near my home. And I had a really curious and odd experience on top of a little climbed, little known mountain called Munath Hlangatak, where I explored ancient remains and visited a really strange lake, which gave me some very odd chills and thrills. So there's lots of interesting tales there, and it's a great adventure. So please do join us for that. For now, it's goodbye from me, Fergus Collins, and the podcast team, Hannah Tribe and Jack Bateman. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>